This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Millions of consumers around the world log in daily to check spreads, place wagers, and hope their team not only wins, but covers the spread. Mike Raffensperger is the CMO of FanDuel Group, an online sports book that is betting big when it comes to gambling. Mike joined Marketing Trends to discuss a host of topics, including why content marketing is bigger than any piece of advertising. He also discussed the need to aggressively pursue authentic experiences and much more. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Mike, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, there's a few things going on. The return to sports is around the corner. So we're busy at FanDuel, but we're very excited. Yeah, I am very excited for the return of sports and uh, and the return of FanDuel to uh, to my phone. I've been a fan for a while and a huge fan of, of a lot of the digital content stuff that you all put out. So we'll get into all of that and your background. So first, how did you get into marketing? So I moved to New York, I guess, almost 16 years ago now. And at the time, I thought I was going to make movies and television. That was the plan. But uh, after doing a stint at a few major media companies in the city, uh, I, you know, suffice it to say, realized that was not going to be a path for me. I think the arts are something that if you don't have that burning, I can't do anything else passion for it. Uh, it's very competitive. A lot of people's dreams, obviously. And I sort of realized I had a variety of interests. And that's when I pivoted into marketing and advertising. So I bounced around uh, Madison Avenue for a little while. And I helped run a boutique marketing firm called Magnet Media for about six years. And that was sort of my start in marketing and advertising. So flash forward to today, uh, I'm sure a ton of our listeners know about FanDuel, but uh, can you share kind of like the size and the scope of, of what you're doing at, at FanDuel right now? Uh, sure. So look, you know, FanDuel Group is the largest online real money gaming company in the United States, bar none. And so we operate actually a number of online gaming businesses. People probably most broadly know our fantasy sports business, um, which we were the creator of the daily fantasy sports category under FanDuel. We've subsequently launched the uh, number one online sportsbook in the country under FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, we also operate online casinos uh, in a number of states that allow them. So under the Betfair Casino brand, as well as the FanDuel Casino brand. And then online horse race betting uh, under kind of a, an ADW wagering system. We operate the largest in the nation under the TVG brand and have recently also introduced a very casual product for those new to horse racing and horse betting under FanDuel Racing. And so collectively, I have a responsibility for all communications and commerce, driving trial, retention, kind of brand development, uh, et cetera, across all those businesses. And so what does it mean to be CMO at FanDuel? What, is, uh, what does the team look like? What are the, what's your day-to-day? Uh, my day-to-day is always different. You know, look, I would say it's the balance of accountability and growing the business commercially. 
And that is, you know, are we acquiring new users to try our products? When they try our products, um, do they stick with us? And when we have active customers, how do we retain them and keep them having a good time uh, and ultimately kind of driving, you know, uh, the commercial outcomes that we need to, to run the business? And then, you know, the sort of other side of that is we want to be an iconic sports brand. And I you know, talk about this. I want to be on the sports betting side, the American sports book of record. And we talk about that a lot where I think historically people have talked about, you know, let's say Vegas has the line at X or Vegas has the odds at Y. I am really keen to continue to drive our leadership position, not just commercially, but as a brand on how we integrate into sports culture at large. And so thinking about ways to do that. And that's everything from marketing partnerships with teams and clubs and leagues to really interesting media partnerships, both with you know, the rights holders of live sports, but also really interesting digital content and digital influencers and kind of on down the gamut. And so how are we doing things that, you know, while we are very focused on having leading and world-class promotions and ensuring we drive those commercial outcomes, we also want to be building a brand that lasts for many decades and kind of has its rightful place among a lot of different iconic sports brands that operate today. You know, I remember when FanDuel was first coming out, I was already a you know, big fantasy football person back from a long time. And so kind of hearing, you know, the rumblings of of this starting, of daily fantasy starting, of all that stuff was was super exciting. And uh and lo and behold, one of my favorite podcasts that I'd listened to for years, uh Living the Stream, was hosted by a guy, JJ Zacharyson, who ended up becoming editor in chief of Number Fire. And obviously that's that's a FanDuel property. It's incredible to see this like intersection that you all have of creating your own content, creating like really cutting edge and, and the best content, a mix of podcasts, of digital media, a slick like Number Fire, for example, has a really slick app with like tools, plus obviously FanDuel advertising, you know, all over the place. Specifically, you know, a number of years ago, I think everybody remembers, you know, just the flood of FanDuel advertising. I'm curious, like, from a content play, we'll start with that. Like, how do you look at building this content uh, kind of empire? Because it seems like everywhere you look in the sports world, there's something that FanDuel is, you know, funding to help you have a better fantasy experience, a better, you know, betting experience or a better sports experience. Yeah. Uh, look, so first off, I will pass the kind words on to JJ. He truly loves fantasy football. He loves sports. Um, he lives and breathes it. He does a tremendous job as kind of editor-in-chief in Number Fire and then, you know, hosts now the kind of the late round uh, podcast, which is one of the most popular fantasy football podcasts uh, in sort of the sporting vertical. And I'd say, I guess the more direct answer to your question is we look for opportunities to find authentic voices like JJ who have a real passion for the space that we can help grow. And I think there's three, I guess, sort of tranches of investment that we'll make. You know, one is original content that we create. And so uh, Number Fire, the podcast network on FanDuel, JJ's included, other original productions. We actually, during um, football season, produce... Uh, we have a linear, under the TVG brand, have a linear television network that's in over 45 million homes across the country that typically shows horse racing. So we air more live sports content than almost any other entity in the country because wow. we really do air uh, live horse races pretty much uh, every five to 10 minutes every day. And so, you know, as part of that, um, we have a tremendous uh, production facility out in Los Angeles. And during NFL season, they make 
an hour-long program called More Ways to Win. It's anchored by Lisa Kearney, who used to be uh, a sports center anchor. We have a number of different guests and high-profile folks that come in and give sports betting news, analysis, punditry, injury updates, et cetera, and kind of breaking down the news of the NFL, but specifically through a, a sports betting lens. And so that airs nationally on our TVG network. And then we also distribute that pretty widely in different local markets where sports betting is legal and digitally as well. And so that is probably only scratching the surface of the original content that we make. So we fund the production, we make it ourselves. And then I'd say the second category is, you know, partnered production. And so again, there are just, it's almost an embarrassment of riches, I think today, particularly in digital, where there are so many people making such incredibly um, compelling content about sports and about sports gaming. You know, our marquee partner, Pat McAfee, I'm just tickled to have done a deal with him. So we are his exclusive gaming partner across our fantasy business, racing business, notably our sports betting business. And for anybody who doesn't know Pat, he's just one of the most uplifting, uh, I think, voices in, in sports media today. And he also has a real passion for sports betting. It comes very naturally to him. He loves talking about it. He loves doing it. And he does it in a very positive way. And so he's, again, just a sort of an incredible, I think, rising star. He does, you know, Saturday College Game Day with ESPN. And he has a daily radio show that airs every day um, that we have become kind of the title partner on. But then we work together to do all kinds of not just even custom content, but custom experiences. So every week, Pat, again, he loves to have a bit of a sports bet now and again. So does his sort of collection of other voices and partners that he makes content with. And every week they pick something called a super boost that, you know, we put into our sports book and brand it uh, that he brings to his community. And he loves talking about it. He gets excited about it. So just as a simple example, last week, you know, Tiger returned to golf for the Memorial Tournament. And I think the organic odds ahead of Thursday when the tournament started, you know, I think Tiger to make the cut was at minus 430 or something along those lines. And so what that means, if you're not super familiar with sports betting, means you would have to bet $430 to make $100, or you would need to bet $43 to make $10. So essentially, it was very, very likely that Tiger was going to make the cut. Well, Pat was really excited about Tiger coming back, and he wanted to do something fun with us and make some content and make some noise. And so we boosted the odds of Tiger to make the cut actually all the way up to plus 100. So it was essentially bet 100, win 100, bet 10, win 10, whatever that might be. And so the, the value there was really, really phenomenal. And so Pat does that kind of thing every week with us. And he gets excited about it in his radio show. He makes digital custom content about it. And that, again, is, is just kind of scratching the surface of what we do with Pat, let alone with many, many other partners that we co-create content with. And then the final you know, kind of tranche of it is, is really just making sure that we can get this content seen and being distributed. There's, you know, it's probably trite to talk about media disruption, but media is being disrupted. And it's everything from OTT and VMVPD providers where people are getting their um, more traditional content in very different ways, uh, digitally to social media, to YouTube, to podcasts, uh, apropos. You know, how are we creating partnerships with really great entities that already have those baked in distribution channels and helping our surface that content, both the content we make, the content our partners make in partnership with us, and making sure that we really build out a good ecosystem uh, to help that content be seen. And so 
those are the three kind of, you know, key tranches again of, of how we would, would tackle content that we invest in and make ourselves that we make with great partners that have authentic relationships with our audience and distribution to help make sure that content gets seen. So it is a meaningful and important part of, I think, any modern marketing practice, but particularly for something like sports betting, which is so nascent and so new and so rich, frankly, with editorial and content opportunities. People like talking about this stuff. It's interesting. And so we, you know, I feel very fortunate that, you know, we've been, I think, the foresight to make some of those investments and more fortunate that it's kind of resonated with our audiences and we've generated a lot of fans. So we are thankful. And thanks for sharing all of that because it really colors the rich tapestry here of what it takes to make truly a media company in addition to what you're building at FanDuel. And I think that you know, if you were to look across the landscape of a, of a company that's doing content, you know, just about better or as good as anyone else in the business, I, you know, I'd say it's definitely you all. And, um, you know, to the JJ piece, where it's like, I was listening to, to Living the Stream podcast, you know, for years and years, and he came out with Late Round Podcast as like a brilliant, like targeted show that takes his, essentially his like weekly article, more or less, or a couple articles a week. And just delivers it into like a bite size, you know, chunk for listeners who are looking for uh, for fantasy football advice. And I think that like those type of things, and the Pat McAfee show is another great example where you have like up and coming media stars that can be so different for the verticals that they're looking in. Obviously, JJ with the very analytical, you know, minded approach to fantasy. Pat being more of a traditional kind of like radio host. And it's interesting to see you place bets on talent that is are very different kind of like crowds. Maybe there's, you know, a bunch of people that cross over from Pat to JJ show, for example, or any of the the shows that you all have. But I think it's such an interesting way of looking at content that it's like, you know, you don't just need one podcast or you don't just need like one blog or one channel, but it's actually the variety of all of those different ways to keep FanDuel top of mind when people want to, you know, use one of the many services you have. And I think it's just a really sharp approach, pardon the pun with the the sharp there, to content because I think this day and age, people like will tend to kind of say like, okay, well, we did just like, well, our content investment is just in NumberFire, for example, or just like we spent a bunch of money on the app just for NumberFire. So it's like, that's good enough for us. But in reality, you lose a massive population of other types of people who are looking for a totally different type of host or type of content or type of delivery method or whatever it is. I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you think about sprinkling those bets in? Yeah. I mean, look, I think you said it, the monoculture hasn't existed in a very, very long time. I don't know. Maybe when Johnny Carson was on the air, you sort of could, if you got on Carson, you probably did your job, but that world is very, very long gone. And the fracturing of audience, the nichification of interests, and not just editorially, as you say, you know, JJ number fire take a more analytical approach. Well, Pat, you know, has a more casual kind of lifestyle approach, both you know, different and attract different people. And then also to your point, you know, the variety and intensity of different platforms that people consume content on, it is sort of shocking to have to keep up with yeah. not just TikTok and Instagram, but YouTube and Twitch and we and it it takes a lot. And I think you're right that it is being thoughtful about ultimately our target audience and we think a lot about 
both kind of more casual players and casual fans and those who, you know, maybe are interested in sports betting or interested in fantasy sports, but they're not necessarily, you know, super familiar with it. We want content and we want promotions and we want experiences in our apps that are very explicitly built for them and help them kind of learn more about it and get comfortable with it and have risk-free experiences to try it and have fun. And then at the same time, there are people that, to sounds like more like you, have been doing this for many years and they absolutely love it and they get kind of the under the hood of fantasy sports or they've, you know, been betting for a very long time. You know, we want to have absolute world-class, innovative experiences, which I'm really proud that we've delivered on a lot of fronts um, and the kind of content that backs that up where, you know, you're able to speak at that high level, whether it's analytical or otherwise. And so, you know, we do very much think about sort of the the matrix and the chessboard editorially, and then also from a platform and distribution perspective, you know, making sure that we are in the places uh, that people want to consume. And yeah, look, the honest answer is it's just not easy. Uh, And it it takes work and it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of varied investments, but much in the same way you would think about an investment portfolio where you've got every single dime you own in IBM or Amazon or whatever, too much concentration uh, just is not going to produce the right outcomes. And a portfolio of content investments in some ways is very similar. Yeah, to zero in on the Pat deal, and I know you can't share specifics or anything, but this is the type of thing I've been like clamoring for for years and years for marketers to see someone like a Pat or whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be any type of uh, any vertical or whatever. If there's someone who's excelling in your market, whether it's like a topic or a persona or, or whatever it is, like just approach that person and say like, how much would it be to be the exclusive sponsor to make sure that you can focus more on making a great show every day and we get all of the ad inventory? Like, what would that look like? And that's something that clearly you're like, Pat's a superstar. He's just getting started. He's going to be around for years and years and years. Like, we want to get in at not quite the ground floor, but but pretty close to that. And, you know, have him wear the FanDuel t-shirt and just be a partner for a long time. I guess, first, why do you think that more CMOs are, are a little like hesitant to kind of make those type of bets? And then the second part of that is like, how did you structure that deal with Pat to say like, hey, we want to be partners for a long time and kind of limit your downside and maximize upside for both partners? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, second part of your question first, and then I'll, I'll circle, circle back. So we actually started with Pat a while back, a couple of years ago. And it was, it was a little bit more of a traditional advertising and affiliate partnership, to be honest with you where we you know, come to an agreement with him and we would incentivize him to promote our sports book. And as he was able to drive new customer trial, we would you know, pay him for such. And I think what we just quickly discovered was, one, Pat's a gem of a human being and really fun to work with. And he really loves sports and he really loves sports gaming. And he wanted to do the kind of stuff that I was talking about. So we would make fun promotions or we would do fun things with him that he could own and deliver his audience. And again, we just had fun together. And I think as he, frankly, went above and beyond the ladder of sort of the agreement we have, we did the same. I think we built trust together. And then, you know, as that more traditional kind of affiliate relationship um, was coming to a close, I think we were just able to engage in a dialogue that recognized we wanted a partnership. And so we haven't really talked about this, but FanDuel is very vested in ensuring that Pat continues to grow his content business and his media business. He has a lot of goals and we want to help him reach those. 
And whether that's helping get more eyeballs on him through some of our distribution partners, whether that is helping, you know, him create value for his audiences and these customer promotions, a lot of other things that we're doing together. I think it just became very natural and easy that to look at this more so not as an advertiser and media entity sort of relationship, which is frankly a little transactional, but truly a partnership. And this space is so unbelievably dynamic. Things change all the time. Things change almost daily, particularly in the middle of sort of a challenging COVID environment for sports. You know, Pat's just very flexible. We try to be very flexible. And I think acknowledging that in the spirit of partnership where we are really trying to help each other achieve goals. And that extends beyond Pat. That, that is the relationships we have with clubs, with teams, with regional sports networks, with other media entities. You know, that is how I think you evolve something from being, again, a purely advertising relationship, which is fine, and often where something starts, but to growing into something more special. And it becomes a win-win-win. It's a win for the brand, win for us. It's a win for the media entity because they get really interesting content. They can deliver value. And it's a win for their audience because it's not just a piece of advertising. It's experiences. It's prizes. It's new ways to consume content, new pieces of information like sports betting editorial content. You know, These are things that add value to the viewer experience or the fan experience. And they're, I think, something unique at least for FanDuel, um, that we're able to deliver. And I think that has been, you know, probably some of the secret sauce and where we really try to drive our relationships that, you know, we see as successful. And then, you know, to, to your farm party question, why don't more CMOs do it? I, you know, I'm not going to cast stones. I think that there's a lot of desire to do these things. And again, even for us, it often does start on a little bit more of an advertising relationship where, Okay, let's try it. Let's see how it performs. Let's see how we work together. And again, a lot of this is trust um, and sort of building that up with your partner. And so I think it's just a, it can be a more difficult process. It certainly often takes a bigger commitment, a more of a long-term commitment and a long-term vision rather than, okay, how many new customers did you drive for me yesterday? If you're asking that question exclusively, you're probably going to miss the opportunity to do something a little more long-term. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's funny to to mirror it to the conversation that we had with this show, you know, 2 years ago with the team at Pardot. It was the same sort of thing. It was like, "Hey, we want to build a show that is like lasting and enduring and that goes twice a week and and talks to the best marketing folks in the world and we want to do this for a long time." And they were really excited about that. And you know, they were super transparent from the beginning about just like, "Hey, make a great show that has awesome guests and and talks about marketing." And uh, we'll be the presenting sponsor. And like 200 plus episodes later, and you know, 500,000 downloads later, that you know, we're sitting at a point where you know, you go back and look at like the massive amount of you know, back catalog and content, amazing guests and folks that we've had on the show. And like, you know, they're presented in every single episode multiple times. And I just think, not that it has to be like just a podcast, I think podcasts are great because the, you build relationships really well with people when when you're, you know, talking to them every day and and sharing, you know, ideas and insights and and, you know, having thought-provoking conversations. But whether it's a show or any type of thing that someone can actually subscribe to. And the thing that I think is so interesting about, you know, a lot of the partnerships that you all do is you're selecting things that are really important to someone that like make their life better. That it's either their favorite show or their favorite thing or their favorite, you know, whatever it is. And I think that that's like a big lesson for a lot of CMOs 
is, you know, how long is your advertising going to last? It's like, yeah, that can be pretty backward looking. But when you're looking at these partnerships, it's like align with people or topics or industries that someone's going to actually love that. And it's like, that's what I always think is like, there's a lot of people whose favorite thing is to watch is Pat's show. And it's like, they share that with their friends and they talk about it and, and it, you know, spurns conversations and, uh, and creates dialogue and all that stuff. And FanDuel is right there supporting their favorite show. And I just think that those types of relationships, you know, have exponential value over time. Whereas like just throwing your, you know, your affiliate links into somebody's, you know, five or six episodes over the course of six weeks just like isn't really going to move the needle long term. And I think it takes a pretty long term approach to come up with something like that. You know, that's just a singular show to do that over, you know, 10 shows or 20 shows or, you know, multiple different properties is a really scary proposition. Yeah. Look, like I said, it can be complex. I think you need, if you have the right matrix of kinds of people we're going after and the platforms we want to ensure coverage of, you start to develop out that list, reach out to people. And, you know, to your point, Again, and a lot of times it can start with more of an advertising relationship to kind of get a dialogue going and evolve. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is, again, I'll use the analogy again, almost like an investment portfolio. And you sort of mentioned this where I'm sure when you had your first podcast episode, it it didn't feel, quote, like, wow, over time, you're building up this back catalog. And much like an investment where $100 a week here, $100 a week there, you know, over a period of years, that can really grow. And the compounding interest of that can really grow. And I think I think about, um, again, our, our content investments in a bit of a similar way. Yeah. And I think it just ultimately creates a win-win-win. I think that that's what you see is like, Pat's going to win, FanDuel's going to win, and the audience wins because they get their favorite show free of cost. And like, that is a very important... I, I think it was um, Tim Ferriss pulled his audience. And it was like 90% of people like don't care at all that there are ads. And like, I think it's like 80 something percent actually prefer the ads because they learn about new products and services uh, from Tim, for example. So I think that there's just a massive amount of people that still want free content. And, you know, being stuck behind a paywall is, uh, you know, helping free content creators of that is a great model. Do you find that, you know, some of these type of, well, and I don't want you to, you know, necessarily pick your favorite, but are there certain campaigns, whether it's advertising or content plays that you've done over your time at FanDuel that you especially loved or were proud of? Oh, man. It's like asking me to pick my favorite child. You know, look, I think where we have delivered on our promise to our customers the best is where we focus on making sports gaming or sports betting fun. And I think one that comes to mind that we were the first to do across anybody in sports betting has taken off and we've subsequently kind of replicated in a few ways is a promotion called Spread the Love. And essentially what it is, is crowdfunded sports betting. And so we will pick a a matchup. I think we did one uh, soon after we launched sports betting in Indiana. We took uh, a Hoosiers game, uh, so the college basketball team in Indiana. And they were playing, I think, Ohio State. And, you know, a a spread market, again, if you're not familiar with sports betting, essentially just means, you know, there's going to be a favorite in that game. And I think it was Ohio State. And so you can bet on Indiana to win and they would get spotted. I think it was seven points or something like that. 
And so they, you know, that's kind of the organic odds where the, you know, the average 50-50% of the time, you know, they would they would lose the game by like seven points, something like that. And so we uh, put this into uh, the market. And essentially for everybody who bet on Indiana, we, every, I think 200 people, we would move uh, the line to spread by one point. And we, we launched that 24 hours before tip-off. By the time that game started, Indiana was plus 118. So essentially, so long as they didn't lose the basketball game by 118 points, you were going to win your bet. Wow. Now, you don't have to be a basketball expert probably to know 118 points is a lot. And, you know, they did cover. And so what it really turned into was an incredibly fun, viral thing. I think you mentioned earlier, people want to share with their friends. That's exactly what happened. It became kind of fire on social media. People were sharing it around because it had this natural, oh, I want the more people to do this, the better it gets. And you want your friends to be a part of that. And we thought it was really fun. And it cost us a lot of money because we paid out a lot of bets. But it's that kind of thing that is innovative. The reason sports betting should be legal, it focuses on making it fun. It makes it a social and communal experience. It celebrates hometown heroes. It just did a lot of things that we really like. And again, I think we were really proud to be the first in the category to do anything like that. And it does come to mind. And there's probably a lot of different examples across all of our businesses, you know, racing and fantasy, et cetera, you know, where we've done things like that. And I think that's where we we tend to succeed. And I think things like that have really never truly been done, right? Like you've seen over the years, you know, the, you know, create a prop bet in Vegas uh, for certain casinos or, or whatever it is. But, you know, the, the fact that you have this digital platform and once someday, once uh, sports betting is legal in every, in every state, you know, it'll be an, an even different story. But the fact that you can do those things as like a marketing team to drive interest, to drive awareness, to get people to, you know, have fun, have a little, you know, skin in the game, you know, watch Monday Night Football or whatever it is with a little extra, you know, something on the line because of some, you know, creative promotion or thing. It gives you a lot of ammo in your arsenal to do fun and creative things. Like, how does your team create some of these ideas? Like, do you all have, you know, your your creative brainstorms or something like that? Because it seems like you're, you know, part of the job is is trying to come up with a bunch of ideas and figure out what can work. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I am very privileged to work with some of the most creative, hardworking, passionate marketeers. You know, I, I've had the privilege of working with in my career and they come up with great ideas all the time. I would say it is very helpful that we have a network of partners both within the company and without. I think I referenced earlier, sometimes Pat comes up with stuff that he thinks would be fun and we go, okay, let's try to make that happen. Sometimes somebody in our product organization surfaces something, thinks it's a good idea. Sometimes somebody in risk and trading, which is essentially the, the guys that set the line, set the odds um, on our sports book, they are about as close to sports as anybody on the planet. And they see something, a narrative that's really interesting. Another one we do sometimes, it's called bad beat relief. So there was a UFC fight a few weeks back that it was for the featherweight championship. And essentially, it was just, it, it felt like the, the challenger had won the fight. The, the fight went the distance, it went to a decision, and just everybody, you know, as they were leading up to the decision, the chatter was, oh, she's, challenger's going to win. It was it's such kind of one-sided, so much more aggressive. But the judges wound up not 
uh, deciding in the challenger's favor. And there was sort of a collective groan all over the internet. I believe it was actually somebody in our risk and trading department was watching that game when, you know, that, that didn't seem particularly fair or fun. And we have this program called Bad Beat Relief. Again, we were the first sports book to do this in the United States. And we reached out to anybody who had a bet on the challenger and we refunded them because we didn't think that was a very good outcome. And we didn't think that felt very fun and sports betting should be fun. And so we do stuff like that. And I try as much as I can to recognize good ideas come from anywhere, anywhere within our company, anywhere within our partners. And we can't make everything happen, obviously, all the time. But I think we try to be as open to that as we possibly can. How are you proving or showing ROI on some of these bets when it seems like, you know, if you're saying, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to rehaul the number fire app, for example, or we're going to, you know, we want to stream more, you know, live sports or something like that or, or whatever it is. How are you looking at making those investments and showing ROI? Because it seems like, you know, obviously that's a huge problem for any CMO. But when you're making you know bets on certain types of content or shows or you know digital experiences, uh, it's not always clear that there's going to be an immediate ROI there. Yeah, look, I mean that's a we could probably have a whole podcast on that question. <laughs> um, it's very challenging. It's very complicated, and I think you probably you take a multifaceted approach, all of which are imperfect, to arrive at a general view. And so we can do everything from surveys of our audience, asking them sort of how influential a piece of content or a a particular talent was and why they chose FanDuel or why they stick with FanDuel. You can match audiences where, okay, you've got people that subscribe to NumberFire and we have their email addresses. You can look at the email addresses of the people in our gaming applications and are they, you know, stickier? Do they play more? What is the shape of that? You know, there's clearly, you know, some of which um, you can actually look at directly at trial and usage and then look subsequently in, especially in the case of like a product feature, A-B testing and look at the lift that it is. And some of it, to be perfectly frank, is I think philosophically believing that these are the right things to do. And we want a certain portion of our investment to be going to these more strategic investments because that is how we build a company that wins in the long term and a brand that is an iconic sports brand for decades. These are the kinds of things we know are right. And so you sort of have the courage of your convictions and you, again, take a portfolio approach to measuring it, all of which you can poke holes in, none of which are perfect, but you collectively arrive at a view that may be accurate without being precise. That sort of girds you to have the confidence to continue making those investments and you go from there. And sometimes if the you know, collection of insights are pointing you to say, you know, this isn't working, then you stop. And you go try something else. But I think, especially in things like digital, where we fool ourselves, in my view, far too often, that digital is perfectly trackable. And I can put a you know, piece of Facebook advertising uh, to market, and I will get view-based attribution, and I will know exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just not, even that is not as precise as you like to believe it is. And so when you have something that isn't quite as trackable as something like a piece of digital advertising, you want to hold it to the same standard when in reality it's doing something different. And I think, again, you take a portfolio approach at different ways of measuring the impact, get to a good enough view, maintain the courage of your convictions and keep them forward. You mentioned that uh, you, know, you thought you were going to be making movies, making TV shows, you know, that sort of thing. 
the book is not yet written. So what's next for FanDuel? Do we got a, a FanDuel uh, TV show coming our way, a movie or something like that? Are we going to dip into the uh, coffers, go find some Hollywood talent? Well, like I said, we have a TV show, NFL season. Tune in to TVG. You can watch more ways to win for some of the best sports analysis in the country. But, you know, our Netflix special, I don't know, is going to be turned green light uh, anytime soon. But, you know, look, I, I think that I believe massively in, in video. And, and I believe we've made a lot of, again, investments across a variety of different mechanisms. I think you'll see us continue to make those where we're building out you know, we have another partner of ours is called SportsGrid. Incredibly important, foundational. They create 24 hours a day of specifically sports gaming content. We are their exclusive partner. We have hours a day of co-branded materials and content talking about, you know, uh, odds, lines, angles, etc. cetera. Um, and that is distributed in a multi-platform way. That partnership continues to grow. We're really, really excited about it. So I guess watch that space. But yeah, look, I, I think uh, it's kind of to sum up a bit of the conversation we've been having, I really believe in investing in these kinds of things that are more authentic experiences that people seek out and get excited about and want to consume relative to you know raw advertising, which can be great and can make people aware, but is sort of tangential to the content itself. And so can you expect FanDuel to be doing more of uh, the former? Yes, you can. Yeah, I mean, I look at like what, you know, if you could have, you know, went back in time and and had FanDuel be, you know, an early investor in like the league, for example, and uh, and take like, you know, all of that, you know, that catalog or something like that and leverage that. I mean, I look at those type of opportunities and it just seems like there's just so much material for fictional content for things like around, you know, obviously sports betting. And fantasy and all this stuff has such a massive community that there's just so many different things to do. So I'm excited to to follow along and, and watch uh, and, and watch what's next. Well, good. I'm excited too. So um, before we get into our lightning round, uh, you know, you you spent your your last time was at Amazon. I'm curious for any lessons or, or uh, I'm sure there are a bunch, but any uh, particular things that you took with you from Amazon and. Uh, you know, brought with you as, as you joined as CMO of FanDuel? Yeah, I mean, look, a lot. I learned a ton at Amazon and it would be probably trite for me to say it's a very impressive organization. I guess one thing that sticks out to me, and I think something that they do shockingly well for a company of, I think when I was there, it was 400,000 people. I believe it's up to 700,000 employees at this point. But the culture at Amazon is very sharply articulated. And it is reinforced through, you know, they call them leadership principles. And they're not just a cute poster on a wall, which I think a lot of companies do. It is a rigorous and explicit part of the hiring process to the extent that you're up for an interview with Amazon, I suspect 80% of a very, uh, again, rigorous process, by the way, will be spent much more on cultural adherence to their leadership principles and where are very specific situations where you demonstrated them and how. And you don't get hired. You can be a technical genius, uh, but if you don't raise the bar for the culture that they want to create, you don't get hired. And it is when, honestly, some of their greatest application are, in any business, decisions can be hard to make. 
and people have different opinions and there's imperfect data and, and, and. And reverting to the leadership principles as a heuristic to help cut through and make decisions is extremely useful and happens a lot. It is part of the review and promotion process. Similarly to being hired, if you do not demonstrate meaningfully the leadership principles, you don't get promoted. These are, these are just very explicit and I think incredibly useful to allowing Amazon, particularly for being essentially, I mean, one of the biggest companies in the world, it's often very hard to have a homogenous culture when you get that big, but they do. And I think it is done through the application of these principles in sort of the manner with which I described. And I think that's something that, you know, we have tried or I have tried to take to FanDuel and similarly instill and talk about and ingrain within the doing of our business. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been with us since episode one. Check them out, salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Mike, are you ready? I guess so. Let's do it. Number one, do you have a hobby or habit that you've picked up during shelter in place? I've taken to working out in my apartment significantly more. So I've struggled to find weights. They seem to all sell out all over the internet, but I have taken to doing that more. Do you have a favorite book or TV show or podcast that you've been binging recently? So I am re-watching The Last Dance now that it has uh, come on Netflix and I always really uh, enjoyed it. So that. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? I've written a couple books. Uh, I really enjoy writing. I wish I had more time to do it. There's probably a screenplay. There's the hubris that I have a screenplay kicking around in my head somewhere. Uh, And so I do like that. Oh, gosh, I don't even it's not even kicking around. I have it in my in my Google notes. I have a screenplay. (laughs) So I'm with you. I the exact same thing. Someday it'll it'll see the light someday. Best advice for a first time CMO. I think that spend your time on your direct reports. I think that, you know, developing a really strong team, both through coaching up, you know, the folks you may be coming into and really spending time on the hires of people who help you level up your game. You can be, you, you are made and break. You can make or break it, you know, based on the team you have around you. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Would you like this duffel bag full of free money? Ah, <laughs> uh, sponsored by FanDuel. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have no money to give you, but uh, but many compliments. Great, great job, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, look, I enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to having a listen when it goes live. And thanks for having me on. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.